This is the Australian Mobile DJ Podcast. In this series, we'll talk to them, get to know them and learn from them. And here's your host, DJ Bevo. Today's guest would have to be one of the pioneers of dance music right here in Australia, making it popular. We're talking to Jimmy Z. You may remember him from Wild FM back in the day, the compilations, the CDs compiled by Jimmy Z. You might remember hearing him on Weekends on Nova in Sydney. And of late, Foreplay has made a resurgence. Foreplay.fm. We'll talk more about that with Jimmy Z. He joins me on the phone. Hello, Jimmy. How are you, mate? Great. How are you? Going all right. It's been a very long time since we've spoken, hasn't it? I know. It has been a long time. We'll have to catch up sometime soon, seeing you're uh, not too far away and we can um, talk about old times. But let's do that through um, this podcast initially. Let's talk about the beginnings of um, dance music here in Australia and your involvement um, with Wild FM when it launched. Um, Well, uh, at school I wanted to do a few things. Beer and astronaut was one of them. And and I was like, that's a little bit too hard. Radio really inspired me. Triple M in Sydney, I lived and grew up. Uncle Doug, Andrew Denton, a whole team of comedians came through that. Really inspired by that, and I thought, I'd love to do that one day. So I did a lot of community radio all around the country. was on Comrade Sat, lots of stations, hundreds of them. And I couldn't do comedy because that was sort of a very scary area. And I thought it was all right what I was doing, but my community radio station didn't want to get sued. So they said, can you maybe move to something else? And I thought, well, stuff it. I'll do the music. Um, and I had a music teacher at school that took a shining to me. So I was like, why not? We'll do the music. And then I thought to get a job in radio, rather than just be another person wanting a job in radio, why not I specialize in something which could be of a need in the future? And I could see Triple J at Maynard F. Sharp Crabs, a legendary, inspiring radio announcer, breakfast announcer uh, for Double J, Triple J in Sydney. And I thought the music he was playing was bang on. This is the future. And uh, Central Station Records, who became a partner in all this, um, were seeing it as well. And now we're growing and growing as an import store around the country. So I thought, let's go and do that. And let's go and do that really, really well. Let's go and research the music industry, go and experience the dance music scene, see what it's all about, and see how we can do something with it. Um, And then eventually came the opportunities all came to me where I could work on with radio stations to grow the trend actually so we ended up sort of pioneering and pivoting and and actually leading the the movement towards electronic dance music so it was a i guess a strategic career move but nonetheless a a passionate one um it was fantastic music and i thought this is really something which will do what i want it to do try and help make people feel a bit happier and it did exactly that well, you think about it, at the time, the 90s was full of um, grunge music like Nirvana and, um, you know, that really, that rock sound. That's why Triple M was making famous. And there's obviously your, your pop and your R&B and stuff, but dance music was kind of played late at night, wasn't it? Triple M in its time being a rock moving into a pop station did play an, an interesting amount of dance. You just wouldn't have noticed it. I mean, yeah. the wildest one played R&B, but uh, people did notice that. Yeah. We actually had a lot of diversity. We weren't a commercial station that people regarded as cheesy, but we actually were quite eclectic as well as uh, accessible. Um, yeah, I didn't notice the dance music. I think Triple J was the only station, and that was Late Nights with Sharif Galal, which is actually who you're referring to probably. And he, um, Andy, uh, what's his name, and uh, Sharif, uh, would would break 
uh, dance music uh, late nights on Triple J, while the rest of the station, the rest of the station maintains generally a rock format. The beginnings of Wild FM. Where did that come from? The idea. There was a gentleman called Anthony Gogetter, or Gogo, as we all referred to him. Um, he started off in Melbourne working for a very popular youth station, very similarly called Hits FM, 89.9, and he moved to Sydney to work for an AM talk station. He just saw a clear and present opportunity to start a similar station, uh, which we did. And in fact, that became Wild FM, uh, but started off being called Hits FM, 96.9, and did a very successful first broadcast. Um, the brand or the name had to split because these were community radio stations, not meant to be commercial in any way. So we then came up with another name called Wild. Um, we didn't initially like it. We thought it was kind of like a, a patronising adult take on a youth radio station. All oh, the kids are crazy, they're wild. But it grew and then the rest became history. We wanted to call it Energy FM, but that would have niched us as only playing energetic dance music, which pretty much we did anyway. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, then Wild took over March 1997, and, uh, and and it went through the roof. The logo of Wild FM, I, I couldn't believe, I can't get my head around if it's a dancing man or is it a, an ant. Where did the uh, the concept for uh, the logo come from? Uh, there was a gentleman in Sydney who designed it, and I think we put it out on the air who would like to design our logo. Um, it was an interesting way it came about. Um the story that I heard from other people, but not what I heard through Wild FM at the time when we were uh, looking at this logo, uh, it was meant to be, um, it's a dancing alien sort of form, and it had antennas on its head, and they were able to tune into the radio station. And so the squash bug, they, some people unkindly call it, it was meant to dance, and its antennae would vibrate to the music and pick it up. Um, there've been other suggestions as to what it uh, re- re- what it was or where it came from, uh, which may be just gossip or old tales. But um, that's a story that I understand. And then the station <laughs> ended up in a situation where Mike Carey, who was involved with it in early days, he went on to to do Channel V, which actually was meant to be Wild TV. Um, he legally helped out with the um, the work to get the brand bought and licensed. Um, and it cost Wild FM $30,000 to get the rights to it. Uh, and this is down the track when it, the logo had been used so much. Uh, there was no way else to go, and the, uh, the artist saw the opportunity to capitalise on it. So, um, yeah, that's, the, that's what I understand as the story. I do understand maybe it had a name, but I can't recollect that. And, again, people can make stories up, so who knows? Um, we'd have to ask uh, the artist. And go go. So the the initial broadcast for Wild FM in Sydney was uh, was that where the Wild Twenty One started, or was it later on? I think the Wild Twenty One started in at Wild FM. Um, the uh, we changed format, changed everything, started all afresh from a November six to December five broadcast in nineteen ninety six to I think it was a March broadcast and ninety seven. New presenters came on board. Um, I made a proposal to the to GoGo and said, "Hey, could we do the countdown show?" Um, he said, "Yep." And somehow Gabby Brown, who was involved in the station from from day one as a presenter, I just 
came to her with a proposal and, and said, hey, how would you like to be co-hosting a show with me? I'd like to do the Wild 21 Countdown. Um, it was 21 songs because Gogo was being whimsical. I guess he just wanted to be one better than the uh, than the stereo than the than the popular station. So they did a top 20. So we did a top 21. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, it was quite a popular show. It did really well, and uh, kids were requesting songs insanely. So yeah, it went down really well. My interpretation of the the 21 was to target the youth, like, you know, being 21 years old and that's like a significant year. But um, it's interesting to hear the actual reason why you did it. So, yeah, cool. Mm. Good answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's the answer I understand. <laughs> that's what I was told. Yeah. So, while FM, it's launched so many careers for people um, going on to bigger and better things. Um, some of the names which attached themselves to the Wild brand would have to be um, Casey Baker or KCB. He's a very talented producer and um, the voice of Channel 7 these days. You've also had um, Alex Kay. How did he get involved with the station? Yeah, Alex is uh, very talented. So he came through from um, what people post was our arrival station to Wild FM in Sydney. And he came through with another two guys in a collaboration. And uh, I think we were looking for a producer. Uh, to help us do sponsorship um, pieces. And uh, I strongly suggested uh, Alex Kay, Alex Kaboris. Um, I just saw that he was talented and really good at what he did. And admittedly, he was the magic behind the current collab- that, the, the collaboration at the time. And uh, I really encouraged um, them to talk. Um, and then he came on board. And, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with Alex. How old was he at the time? Because he seemed so young in all the photos that I saw on the CDs. Huh. Uh, I think he was pretty young. Yeah, he would have been, I don't know, he would have been late teens, I guess, or yeah. early 20s, definitely, but late teens. There was a rule of under 25 that all the presenters had to be. And uh, because I was getting older, I was actually older than the rest of them, um, they actually delightfully changed it to under 30. <laughs> that is why I could actually get a radio show because we changed the age limit. Yeah. So, with your involvement with the dance music and and um, you know promoting it heavily here in Australia, did you get to meet a a few artists over the years and DJs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a ticket to pretty much meeting everybody. I mean, we had a lot of very uh, famous acts come through. Um, obviously, we had Shane Coates from Madison Avenue. That was an interesting interview um, early one morning. And then we had, um, I think it was an act called Koshane. They did a song called Hide You. Yeah. I, and they were amazing. And so, yeah, I learned a lot that the, the smaller the ego, the bigger the artist. Um, some of the biggest artists were just really down to earth and really quite genuine and nice people. Um, they were true musicians, true artists. So, um, yeah, we had a quiet week field. Um, so many artists uh, came through and, and we did interviews with them. Yeah. What about uh, Nick Skits? Did he have a great involvement with the station, seeing he had a quite a successful career? Yeah. Well, he's just another DJ battling for gigs with yep. a friend of mine called Mark Dynamics, who ended up becoming a very uh, popular Ministry of Sound DJ, and he remains a friend today. Um, so battling for gigs. We, Mark actually was the second person involved in Wild, the third person. Um, and he checked out early because he just didn't feel it was his thing. Um, and just as well, because uh, he was a little bit more edgy. Yeah. Um, I was quite happy to be more accessible, commercial, working or something like that. So Mark helped us move in the original furniture into the original Hits FM uh, 96.9 on top of a 
uh, swimwear shop in Glebe, uh, owned by a lady called Sue. Anyway, a bit of trivia. Yeah. Um, Nick, I knew, had very much similar taste in music. I used to get records for him from Central Station Records and sell them to him. I used to have a borrowing agreement with him, um, which then I encouraged other DJs on other radio stations uh, to do as well so we could grow dance music. Um, and get them a much better selection uh, than what they could, you know, muster together what little money they had. Uh, just give them the whole library and get them playing the music, get them choosing what they think is great so we can actually, you know, move the scene up. Uh, this was pretty wild on a radio station called 2 RDJ FM and then New Wave 99.3. Um, so I used to get records for Nick and then it was clear that he was interested in the same music that we were doing on Wild. So, um, Although Rob Brizzy, who became a, a fairly known DJ on Wild FM, would claim this, we, I guess, we, I made the call that we would get behind uh, many local artists and many up-and-coming DJs who were just kids at the time. Uh, people like Diego V, um, obviously KCB came along at one stage, uh, Alex K, um, but Nick was probably one of the first, and uh, he would produce music, he would do mega mixes. Uh, he came from a record label that I used to work with. So we had our sort of training with, there and we took him on board and supported him and we made it clear to all the presenters that you know, these are priority people. We really want to support them and grow them and turn them into great DJs, give them a great platform to, to build themselves. So, um, yeah, Nick grabbed the opportunity like a businessman and, um, yeah, the rest for him was uh, was history. Uh, you said you worked at a record company. What was your role there? I worked for a record company called Pro DJ International, Jeff and Diane. Um and that role there was uh, doing promotion. So I'd be contacting radio, um, following up uh, to ensure that I were given all our new releases, our promos, um, and then just keep in touch with them about information about the artists, how they were doing overseas, uh, and follow up if they, um, if they were supporting. Um, Nick was actually employed in a different regard. I effectively took a position that he left off when he left the station, but... Uh, I shifted to promotions. He was doing production and working on some of the Oz mixes and the mega mixes that Pro DJ would work on. Um, so that's kind of where he got his his learning uh, from himself. So yeah, the expansion of the uh, Wild brand into Brisbane. Do you recall that? Yeah, that was the reason. One of the reasons why it happened. Um, we were sitting around after a broadcast uh, in Sydney, and we were just going, "What next? We're going to wait a long time for." our turn to do another Wild FM broadcast in Sydney. I said, go, go, let's go to Brisbane. And so we did. And uh, we found people to partner with and they took on the running of the station. Um, we shared the brand. Um, I sort of came up with the brand, um, acted as a music director for a period of time, uh, even did the Wild 21 countdown with Gabby as well that we used to do in, uh, in Sydney. So, um, yeah, we had a wild time. That was a... It was a wild time. <laughs> Do you remember the differences in um, the markets between Sydney and Brisbane? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the stations, every market had its own different quirk on its what sound worked best for the audiences. Brisbane, Queensland was a bit more hardcore um, with their dance music. Um, it was a smaller scene, but a very, like in a crucible, a very hot scene. Um, and some of the DJs who led the brigade, led the movement, were very skilled and very passionate and very good at what they did. 
um, a few of them really pushed themselves, uh, pushed themselves hard, actually too hard. Sydney, a bigger place. It was a different vibe. Um, Sydney had a, a very large LGBT sort of audience, a very large New Australian audience. So the, 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 the vibe of the cosmopolitan vibe was an entirely different thing. It was a lot more relaxed, a little bit more happy, a little bit more celebrative, a little bit less, not so hardcore, although there were people who were into hardcore music. Um, people in Sydney, being a big city, a lot of distractions, they weren't so hell-bent into it as, say, people in Queensland were almost all in. They were deep into it, and I was like, wow, these people are really into dance music. So Brisbane was a bit harder in its style, I felt, uh, which is a little bit of a steer away from what Wild FM was successful with, um, which is effectively commercial dance. Sydney was a party, and it was not so serious, and therefore it was allowed to be a bit more fun and more bubbly and more airy and a little bit cheesy. Um, so those are the differences between the two markets at the time. Yeah. Who are the uh, the Brisbane DJs that got involved and um, careers kind of spawned from Wild FM Brisbane, do you remember? It was a little bit different. I think the radio announcers ended up uh, working commercial radio like yourself um, for, for, for decades, I think, following. Um, DJs themselves, like the dancing was quite sort of a bit more underground, a little bit harder. So I think Wild FM's positioning wasn't so uh, connected launching DJs in Brisbane and Sydney it was easy because they're generally like your Alex Kays and Nick Skitters and they were totally down with the music. They were, you know, sort of a multiracial origin and so they really connected with the Eurodance and the fun sort of Italo house sound of wild. Whereas in Brisbane they existed and they were great DJs and we knew them and they would do our live broadcast but they didn't really connect as much with our format uh, which, which appealed to the general audience and the general population. Um, they were a lot more hard. So, I mean, there were, there were DJs, there was Hacker, um, Harry Katsanavis, who used to run Central Station Records in Brisbane. There was another guy called Matt Kitchen. He, um, and then there was, um, Darren Brie. Yes. Who did a collaboration with P.E. Ferris. So actually there are some DJs, but I wouldn't say that Wilder from Brisbane was what made them. They just were in synchronicity with us being on air and connected but they were still pursuing their own sort of DJ careers. Um, uh, there was Delicious, who was Darren's partner. She was a DJ. There was a promoter, uh, Michael Watt. Um, but uh, some of the well-known DJs, people like Angus and Edwin, had had their time previous, um, and they shone bright, but they weren't really, weren't really connected to Wild. There was Miss Tracy coming through, who used to work at Central Station Records, uh, who played hardcore. Uh, there was Baxter. Again, uh, her career was kind of already established through the Brave scene, the Adventure series of Raves and, and the clubs in, in Brisbane, which are awesome. Um, and the Gold Coast, Mark Rice. But again, these people, uh, I wouldn't say Wild FM made them. We just were kind of in concert working and broadcasting at the same time that they were building their careers. You uh, you did mention uh, that uh, Wild FM Sydney changed the rules from 25 to 30 so you could stay there. Um, <laughs> you turned yeah. 30 in Brisbane. So what did that mean? Oh, I don't know. I don't think there was ever a conversation. <laughs> um, did I really? The community broadcast stations, the licences were being rounded up about the year 2000. When I heard this, um, FBI was complaining that, you know, Wild FM was making money and too commercial and all the rest of it. There was a big 
lawsuit with um, GoGo in, in Sydney and, and all that sort of stuff. When I heard FBI, I thought, what? The FBI from the US is doing this investigation? Mm. This is getting hardcore. But no, it's a... Free broadcaster thing. Yeah, it was another radio station in Sydney, another community broadcaster, which ended up with the uh, full-time licence. Do you remember those days? Yeah, Lee, a gentleman called Lee, um, surname escapes me, he uh, did FBI and it did get a licence. Um, it was kind of regarded as like a, a Sydney Triple J and I think it was a water licence because it could support um, a dwindling sort of local live Sydney scene. Um, and I guess it's still going today. Um, I haven't really heard much about it. Um, I think at the time uh, when it appeared, we were just too successful for our own good because we, we catered for a niche that wasn't being looked after by all the other existing stations, including Triple J, a supposed youth station. Um, it was just going down this university student, you know, um, punk rock sort of crazy rock sort of uh, avenue. Um, it was quite obscure music as well. And, and yet there was a whole... There was this whole scene of music being played in nightclubs every weekend. It was just not being uh, connected to, uh, except for a dwindling number of, well, not a dwindling, a, a, a ballooning number of community radio stations who, who were putting on niche radio shows to answer to the demand for this sort of music. Um, and then we just did it really well. And I think uh, there were lots of dance stations around the country that really, really strong because I worked very hard as a music director to make sure that the music was awesome and brilliant because that was, generally what they heard on the radio most of the time while the film was on the air. So, um, yeah, um, with FBI, I, the success of Wild was its own um, breaking. Um, it was a community radio station that was being applied for a license so much and that we didn't really fit that sort of mould. We weren't really typical community radio we were just providing a niche and a need for radio that the, the youth wanted to hear and they were being um ignored the chance to to have it so it was a sad moment actually when wild fm didn't get a license um because the youth who were really into wild fm like triple j and today fm would tell us informally we had five or more seven percent of the audience that's huge mm. um they were just left adrift. Um, but then other opportunities came along and stations like Nova appeared and, uh, and then they sort of had hunted me because they wanted to connect to this, uh, this dance music trend that Wild FM had warmed up on their frequency. So um, that's how that opportunity came about. Um, and they kind of addressed it uh, in, a, in a commercial radio station way. Um, but yeah, with FBI, I guess they, they sounded good. They didn't, seem a threat to the incumbent commercial stations because they're all worried about losing their audience share. Um, Stereo, at the time, um, there were some interesting characters who were running that show, uh, orchestrated a campaign to ensure that uh, stations like Wild FM did not get a licence um, because they were worried, uh, being a commercial station, um, that they were losing audience and uh, therefore advertising dollars. Um, but then Nova came along, so they, they, they found a new competitor with Nova. So it was like we're always against the evil empire of Austeria. I was working with Wild, which became successful, and I got hired by Nova, and that became successful. And both of them were a thorn in the side of that, of that monopoly that the Austeria Network or Village Roadshow at the time um, had in uh, most of the radio markets around the country. Um, 
whereas FBI just went ahead and continued to do raw, independent, alternative radio. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of like a, a Sydney version of Triple J, which was already being catered for quite well. Yeah. Your uh, introduction to Nova being... Uh at the launch of basically a brand new FM radio station in Sydney would have been huge. What was your role there? Um, yeah, so they had hunted me because of, of course, the Wild FM um, track record that I sort of carved. Um, and I, I was, you know, I had a, we created a great enterprise and I was left dead um, because of the politics. So it was a beautiful uh, lease on life and it stopped me from moving, having to move overseas to indulge my um, career. Um, yeah, Nova came along. And um, took off, I guess, where Wild FM left over in, in some ways. They named the show. <laughs> yeah. So they gave us a brand called Nova Night. That's right, yes. And uh, then they just gave us a time slot, uh, 7 p.m. till 6 a.m. And I said, what are you going to do? Do whatever you want. So we went about filling that up with content. Um, I pulled a gentleman in who works with um, BBC Radio 1 and Radio London. He was a part of... Those two um, uh, leading edge radio stations that were quite influential. Um, he gave Pete Tong his job with the BBC. Um, he was uh, coming from another dance station that went a little bit more underground called Radio Dax in Sydney, and uh, they were broadcasting from out of our studios. We leased our studios out when we couldn't use them to keep them financially operable. So I teamed up with him, pulled him into Nova, and so me and, uh, and Tom Brown from BBC Radio One shared. Um, this evening, time slot on Nova on Saturday nights. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing programming on a commercial radio station playing mix-ups recorded live from Ibiza um, from people like Paul Van Dyke and, and a whole lot of artists and stars. Um, and then I would lead the beginning of the show with some um, countdowns and, and, and four-play mix-ups and uh, playing commercial dance. Yeah. The uh, beginnings of the foreplay brand. Uh, how did you get in- into that? Yeah, well, we uh, Tom Brown came up with the name. Um, we were mixing up by request of uh, an announcer called Ugly Phil, an, a legendary announcer. He'd come back from uh, the UK after being huge on the Hot 30 Countdown on the Austria Network, uh, effectively our rival when we were doing Wild FM, but we're not competing with him, but we happen to be on the air at the same time in, in, in Sydney. Um, and uh, he was looking for mix-ups because it's what he did on his UK radio show. So they approached me and said, could you do some mix-ups for Ugly Phil's afternoon show, drive show on Fridays? And I was like, of course. And that became a huge thing. Um, I used to break, you know, any mash-ups or new releases from the import stores through that Friday afternoon slot. Um, all the record companies would listen. And um, then releases like Dr. Pressure, and a whole bunch of songs, um, uncanny it was that they became releases. Um, but we sort of premiered a lot of this stuff way even before release or even before it was entertained as a release. We would, would play these mashups and things on, on, on Nova and Friday afternoons and it would get a lot of attention um, and even reach the promotion or papers for the releases would be alluding to, you've heard it probably on the radio in Sydney, and it would be like, well, who else is playing this, this music? It was us. So it was four songs in a row that went for 15 minutes. And then Dan Weston, the music director, said, can we make them shorter? And so we eventually went with that and we'd make them into six-minute mixes, which had four song features. And then that started off a whole mixing trend that uh, Nino Brown and Havana Brown and DJs around the country who would make any radio show would do these short-form mixes. 
which are essentially just mini mixes or four plays. Um, and so we, we, Tom Brown came up with a brand name because it was four songs in a row and it's a little bit cheeky. Um, and then the four play brand, um, yeah, came about. Was it from there that you, um, got into providing pubs and clubs with, uh, DJs, uh, throughout Brisbane? The Nova in Brisbane took a lot of content that we did for Nova in Sydney. Um, and it went over really well. So we effectively had a presence on Nova in Brisbane, but weren't really here, which was odd. Um, and so I kind of drifted up here. Um, and um, my whole life moved up to Queensland. Um, and uh, then I got taken on by an agency uh, that managed uh, the bookings for bands like Grinspoon and Butterfly Effect. And, uh, and yeah, we just leveraged off the fact that I had this brand playing on Nova. Um, and uh, I became a club DJ and then we had opportunities to launch other DJs. Uh, we needed warm-up DJs if we're going to take over a whole club night. We, you know, I took in some new talent, um, a couple of DJs in Brisbane who are just kids, but I saw some talent and potential. Um, in fact, one of them was uh, uh, visually impaired, was actually blind, um, couldn't see the audience. But he was an exceptionally good DJ. He was almost a savant. So it was really kind of interesting and fun uh, launching new talent um, through our uh, brand, Foreplay. Um, and we took on quite a few DJs and gave them a, a try because I was really into the idea of launching talent. I just loved the idea that we could grab someone who had talent and we could help build them and help them realize a career that they possibly could never have imagined but always wanted to have. Um, so it was a good feeling to be able to do that for a few people, yeah. And uh, I've just seen recently that you're um, you're bringing back foreplay, but in the form of an internet radio station. Yeah. So uh, many years ago, I sort of set up this radio station, foreplay.fm. So it really was just a continuation of Wild FM and foreplay and everything else that I'd worked on. Um, and uh, yeah, at the time, it was a little bit early days and internet broadcasting was not really well sort of uh, embraced. It was just too early. So um, I put that to sleep. But uh, then, of course, 2020 came about this thing called the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, we're all sitting around. Our, my, my other careers had sort of taken a, a stagnant back step because of the virus. Um, you can't tour when there's a virus uh, or a pandemic going around. So I decided to bring it out of the... Um, uh, bring it out of the closet. Um, uh, a fan of the station was hitting me up, going, "Hey, I'd like to run your radio station again. You want to do it?" And eventually, I caved and went, "Yep, let's do it." Um, so we've relaunched it, uh, a pretty much a throwback to the wild era, um, through something called '90s Weekends. So the way that we program Wild FM and back in the '90s, um, we're reproducing exactly everything almost to the T. Um, on four play FM on weekends, which we of course call '90s weekends, so it's a pretty much carbon copy of what Wild FM used to sound like, but a better one because it's the best of the best. Um, it's still um, not just hits, but eclectic music as well. But it's music that Wild FM really celebrated and was really the, the essence of, of the Wild FM format. So um, we're really looking forward to running that and seeing if we can touch a few people's lives. And um, you know, mental health is a big thing with um, this global pandemic. So one of the one of the aims of this is to actually uh, alleviate some people, to bring them back to a time when they were happy and uh, the music was happy and uh, 
let them relive it. So it's, it's been as much a therapy for us as we hope it might be for other people. Um, and it sounds excellent. Like, it sounds better than what Wild FM used to because it's the best. How is it being broadcast? Is it just through the website or will there be an app or is, will it be transmitted on um, on radio, on a licence somewhere? Yep. At the moment, we're just broadcasting it online. So, you know, everybody has access to it 24-7, freely. Um, it's just through um, the website for play FM, which is spelled number four, the followed by the word play as in child's play, P-L-A-Y, dot F-M. Um, we've got plans for the future, but we're just testing the market and just seeing if if, this, if there's a demand for this at first. But um, yeah, we've had some informal talks with some of the networks and platforms as to taking it on. So we're just sort of taking it one step at a time. How exciting. Jimmy Z, thank you so much for joining us on the Australian Mobile DJ podcast. No worries, Lee. Thank you very much for your time and your everything. The Australian Mobile DJ Podcast was hosted by DJ Bevo and produced by Matt Fulton Productions.